started, let's look first at the portrait of this family, the portrait of this family. In the text, you have the father, Elimelech. You see him there? Elimelech is the father, the patriarch of the family. His name means God is king. So Elimelech, the father, is a man who knows who he is, and he knows who his God is. And then you have the mother, the matriarch of the family. Her name means pleasant and joyful. Then they have two children, Malon, the older brother, and his name, it's a little shocking, means sickness. I don't know why they would name their baby sickness. Other baby, Chilion, his name means weakness. Now, I studied a long time to try to give you an answer for why these parents would name their children <laughs> sickness and weakness. And I ran across this thing that referenced the Talmud, and sometimes in the old world, parents would name their children after the uh, primary traits that were going on when they were born. So it's possible that Naomi was very sick when she gave birth to Mylon and very weak when she gave birth to Chilean and named the baby after what she was going through. A lot of fathers in the Old Testament gave their naming rights to the mother. And a lot of times out of the mother's pain, the mother would name the child. And, uh, but he, whatever the case was, their names were sickness and weakness. And I'm glad the Bible included their names because the Bible starts out telling us this is a strong family. Father's name means God is my king. God is my God. This is a strong family. But I'm glad the scripture tells us that every strong family has some sickness and weakness in it. Because it's true. Every strong family in this room has some sickness and some weakness in it. Every strong marriage in this room has some sickness and some weakness in it. Every strong person, there's some area of your life that's sick, there's some area of your life that's weak. And yet the scripture says they lived in Bethlehem, Judah. They had sickness and weakness in tow, but they lived in spite of it in Bethlehem, Judah. And I'm glad the scripture tells us that because Bethlehem Judah means, Bethlehem means the house of bread, spiritually speaking, the house of revelation knowledge. Judah means praise. So this family lived in a house of revelation and praise. And when you live in a house of revelation and praise, your sickness and your weakness cannot overwhelm you because of revelation and praise. Bunch of us in the room know what that's like. We've had areas of sickness and weakness in our life for years, but the sickness and the weakness hasn't been able to overwhelm us and take us down because we dwell in a house of revelation and praise. And every time the sickness is just about to take over, I come into the house of the Lord and I get a revelation that God is my healer. And every time the weakness is about to take over, I come to the house of the Lord and I get a revelation that through praising him, something about Praising him strengthens me and the Lord is my strength and his joy is my strength and his countenance is my strength. And what it does is it keeps all of the sickness and weakness that is there, it keeps it at bay. But the scripture says that they decided to move because of a famine. There was a, 
natural phenomenon, a natural circumstance that was difficult. So the father, Elimelech, decided to uproot his family from the house of revelation and praise and transplant them to a different place called Moab. And I want to tell you, places are important. Where you decide to plant yourself is important. When the family took their sickness and their weakness and they moved out of the house of revelation and praise, now there was nothing to combat their own issues. Now there was nothing to stand against the things that were standing against them. And the Bible says in 10 short years that Elimelech died and his two sons, Malon and Chilion, died, leaving a grieving matriarch, the mother Naomi, with two daughter-in-laws. And mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws don't always get along great. Oh, yeah. Y'all ain't going to say nothing to me this morning. Ah, yeah. Normally, the only thing that keeps the nucleus of the family together is the fact that, that the daughter-in-law, you know, is married to, to the son of the mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law, her son is married to the daughter-in-law, and, and somehow that causes there to be a smoothness, you know, uh, relative smoothness, you know. But now, the only thing holding the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law together is dead. So, uh, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpha, she says, peace, I'm out. <laughs> I ain't had nothing but drama since I got in this family. I'm going to take the few years I got left, and I'm going to live my life. <laughs> it's my time now. I'm out with y'all. Y'all crazy. I'll see you. Wouldn't want to be you. Bye. But Ruth, who has no more obligation to her mother-in-law, Ruth says, I tell you what, I'm going to stay by your side. I'm going to help you. I'm going to invest my youth into being a strength for you as you get up in age. And so Naomi said, well... I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here in Moab. Since we transplanted and left Bethlehem, Judah, the house of revelation and praise, things have been horrible for us. I'm going back to the house of revelation and praise. And so Ruth said to Naomi, she said, well, then I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to help you on your journey. Now, Ruth's name means the refresher. The refresher. But what she doesn't know is because she has made a decision to refresh Naomi in her time of struggle and pain and to be a strength to her during her journey. She's activated a biblical principle because Proverbs 11.25 says that when you refresh other people, you will yourself be refreshed or watered. You water other people, God will make sure you are watered yourself. So, so... Ruth follows Naomi back to Bethlehem, Judah. And all of a sudden, Naomi discovers she's got like a distant second or third cousin that has become the wealthiest man in the territory. 
big and bad, owns all the real estate, has the biggest house, owns all the all kind of uh, farming operations and all this stuff, and his name is Boaz. And Naomi gets this idea in her head, she's going to play matchmaker. And somehow she's going to set up the most successful man in the territory with Ruth, who is the widow of her dead boy. You ever been around people with high hopes, you know? matchmakers with high hopes. You ever had somebody try to introduce you to somebody that was like real, like 10 levels lower than you were? Y'all ain't going to talk to me this morning. You know, why are people always trying to fix you up? You know, it's crazy. So, so Naomi gets this idea. I, I'm, I'm going to set you up and and the question is, if you were Boaz, why would you want Ruth when you could have anybody else that you wanted in the territory? Seems unlikely, seems improbable. But when Naomi takes Ruth to meet Boaz, Boaz is impressed. Ruth makes an impression, not necessarily because of beauty or, or, or anything else. She makes an impression. He's impressed that she stuck around and help Naomi. He's impressed by her character. And ladies, I want to tell you, and gentlemen too, character is still attractive. Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to get much help on that. You won't see it pulling up a shirt on any magazines. You won't see any 10 steps to get sexy character. But I'm telling you, character is still attractive. It's an amazing, attractive quality. And... Uh, so he's impressed with her, and so, so he, pulls, he pulls all of his harvesters and his reapers aside. He said, uh, you see that, that widow? It was a law in the scripture that if you owned a field, you had to let widows come into your field and, and take a little bit of whatever grain was left over after they harvested. And so Boaz said, hey, you see that one over there? And uh, he said, I want, you to, I want you to make sure you leave her extra. Okay? So, so Boaz starts blessing her one handful at a time. Well, Naomi sees that, and she says, oh, that's all I need. I'm going to get this girl hooked up with, with that boy. And so she starts to mentor the girl and teach her practical steps to elevation, to promotion. She begins to give her protocols for promotion. And uh, we see it back in Ruth chapter 3. And point number one in our champions class, protocol for promotion. I, I want you to write this down if you have it or take a picture of the screen. You're going to need some of this for what's coming to your life over the next few months. Point number one, identify what you're going after. Identify what you're going after. These two ladies weren't just looking for any man. I know being choosy isn't popular anymore, but, but I, I just want to tell you, you shouldn't settle for less than you're worth. They, they, they weren't just going after any old body. They weren't just on some random dating site. Anybody send me a message. I'll try anything. I'll try anybody. No, they identified what they were going after. They wanted Boaz. And so many people, whether you're talking about relationships or business or finances or whatever it is, so many people go through life not identifying with specifics what they're going after. 
You ask a lot of people, I do it all the time when praying for people. How can I pray for you? What do you want the Lord to do for you? They don't know, you know? You have to identify what are you going after right now in your life, in your financial life, in your marriage, with your children, with your future, with your retirement, with your investments, with your saving, with every area. What are you going after? Have you identified it? So Naomi identifies it. We're going after that one. Then they start researching it. Okay? They research it. They spy it out. Because once you've identified it, you got to spy it out. That's why Moses sent 12 spies to spy out the land of promise that God was giving them. He wanted them to spy it out, put eyes on it, research it. And then you got to formulate a plan. A dream becomes a plan the moment you write it down. Amen. Something you want becomes something you're planning for the moment you write it down. Have you written down what you're going after? You got to identify it. In verse 2, they knew where he was. They, they said, he's, he's uh, winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. They were scoping this guy out. They were following him. They were on a stakeout. They knew his schedule. They knew how to bump into him accidentally. They knew how to run into him. They knew what they were going after. You got to identify it. Somebody say, identify it. Identify. Then verse 3, she says, therefore, wash yourself. Point number two, you got to. Wash yourself. Don't allow your past to pollute your present. Ruth had been through some messy stuff in Moab. Bad stuff. She had a whole entire life there. She had gotten married there. She had been raised there. She had been educated there. Then her husband dies. And she's got to bury that whole chapter. And if you're not careful, you can go into a brand new season with an old season all over you. Filthy from the contaminants of what you've been through. Now you're no longer in it, but you got what you were in that you've now come out of still plastered all over you. So you got to wash yourself. If you don't learn to wash yourself of the contaminants of past experiences, then when people look at you, they can see what you've been through written all over your face. You'd be amazed at the people who ruin where they are because they never washed off where they came from. And I'm telling you, the person interviewing you can see it. The person dating you can see it. Some people are struggling in their marriage today because they're married to three or four people at the same time. Not legally, but emotionally. They never washed off the past relationship before they jumped into the next one. And you're not ready for anything new until you wash off what was old and what was over. People shouldn't be able to take one look at you and be able to tell your past and tell what you've been through. And I want you to understand something. The blood of Jesus, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the blood of Jesus has freed you from the penalty of sin. It's freed you from the penalty of sin. It's freed you from the penalty of sin. But it's your responsibility to wash yourself of the practices of sin and of the residue of sin. 
God's already done his part in washing you. He's washed you in the blood. Now you need to get up and wash your habits and wash all your tendencies and wash the way you talk. You can't go into a Fortune 500 company talking like the ghetto. You got to wash yourself. You got to wash some of the ways you dress. You got to wash your some negative aspects of culture that got attached to you while you were growing up. If you want to level up, you got to wash up first. You got to wash yourself. Look at somebody and say, wash yourself. Number three, Naomi tells her, anoint yourself. That's Ruth 3, verse 3. Anoint yourself. Now, when we talk about the anointing in church, and I do it all the time, we can get real spiritual. We talk about the anointing from the spiritual perspective as God's divine enablement, the oil of heaven coming down on your life. But Ruth's not talking about that. She with Naomi. Naomi says, I want you to anoint yourself with oil on your head and on your face. In other words, I want you to brighten your countenance. This anointing is not talking about somebody laying hands on you or you praying in the spirit. This anointing is the fresh oil of a new attitude. A new attitude often is required to step into higher levels and higher doors. New elevation, many times, will require a new attitude. When Naomi said, anoint yourself with oil, this is equivalent to today, women putting makeup on. Most ladies, Most ladies, when they, when they got something really important to go to, or simply stepping out of the house, uh, most ladies will, will spend some time beautifying their countenance, fixing their face, you know? Y'all invest all kind of money in it, too. I wish I had some stock in Clinique. I'm telling you what. But, but, but you spend time... What are you doing? You're, you're presenting your very best self, the very best version of who you are. And that's what Naomi is telling Ruth to do. She said, I want you to go and I want you to anoint your face with oil, beautify your countenance and present the best version of yourself that you can. Now, we understand that about makeup. But we've lost that understanding about our attitude. Some of your attitude needs a full makeover. Blush, eyeliner, you know, lipstick, it needs everything. Okay. You need the fresh oil of a new attitude. And understand this. She said, she said take the oil, take the oil, baby, and go in there in the bathroom and, and get in the mirror and put it on. You got to understand this. A good attitude is something you put on. Got my work cut out for me. You don't always just have a good attitude because you're having a great day. Maturity is having a terrible day and still knowing how to put on a good attitude. You don't just put on a good attitude when you feel good. Maturity is knowing how to be feeling bad and yet put on a good attitude. 
Joyfulness is something you put on. Positivity is something you put on. Being nice is something you put on. We live in a generation that has to keep it real 24-7. I got to tell my truth. I got to be myself. I got to act how I feel. And I want to tell you that keeping it real will keep you broke. Keeping it real will keep you unhirable. Keeping it real will keep you divorced. You'll go through three or four spouses before you learn that in this life, in reality, you can't always just keep it real. Because nobody wants to hire negativity. I said nobody wants to hire negativity. Or be married to it. But on the other hand, joyfulness, positivity, being nice, that's attractive. I mean, you don't even have to go to the gym to get more attractive. You can get instantly more attractive today, right now. Be nicer. And some of your problem is your face. You know, I said this in a message before, you know, so many people have this, this syndrome called resting blank face. You know, you just look at them and they look like a junkyard dog that just wants to tear you apart. And you're unapproachable. People don't come up to you with opportunities. People don't come up to you at all. They're scared to because of the way you look and the vibe you're projecting because you have not anointed yourself with the fresh oil of a new attitude. People hire nice. People hire smiles. Practice it. Some of y'all can't even do it right now. You got the syndrome face so bad you can't even. And I'm, and I'm being serious. If you have to get in front of the mirror and practice looking nice at people, the, the importance of a good attitude the importance, you said it, self-awareness. The importance of knowing what you're projecting to people. Because you know sometimes you can look mean and not be mean. Sometimes, sometimes it's just the way you were raised or the people that raised you. Some, just, nobody in the house ever smiled, you know. Or maybe you learned it in a reverse way. Maybe you grew up so hard that all of the nice smiling people were seen as soft and pushovers and all that kind of stuff. But when you get up to the upper echelons of society, it's the nice people that are winning. It's the people that know how to turn on a smile and know how to say, hi, it's good to see you today. How's your family? You know, you're standing there, you want to cuss somebody out. Welcome to J.C. Penney's. What are you looking for today? You know? It, 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 it's all... It's all, and we, we get it twisted and we miss it because we think we have to feel it to be it. No, it's something, it's something you put on like a coat. You just put it on, okay? You, you just put on a good attitude. There's no successful salesperson in the world that's a jerk. You can't be a jerk to people and sell them anything. If you're going to sell people something, you got to be nice. You got to have a good personality. You have to have a good attitude. And it will work for you if you work it. I'm going to say it again. It will work for you if you work it. That's not my personality. Add something to your repertoire. You know, 
add another coat to the closet. This is something you put on. That's what Naomi said. Put on the oil of a new attitude. Number four, she tells her, this is verse three still, put on your best garment. Now, nothing has been agreed upon with Boaz yet. Boaz ain't agreed to date this girl. And yet Naomi says, go put on the very best you've got. Put on your best garment, dress for success. Put on the very best you can. She's telling her to get dressed for something that isn't even guaranteed to happen yet. In other words, she's telling her, prepare now like you're going to get what you're believing for. Because it'll be too late to get prepared if he agrees to let you in. It'll be too late to be prepared if the door opens. You got to prepare now, even though the door ain't opened yet. You've got to prepare now as though you believe that it's going to open. And people don't do this because this level of preparation takes great faith. It's like when the, when the prophet told them to go dig ditches in the valley and it hadn't rained in months. They were digging ditches anticipating rain before it ever came. But it would have been too late to start when it started raining. You have to have the faith to prepare now like you are going to level up. You have to have the faith to put those disciplines in place, make those changes in your life now like you believe you're going to level up. And this makes you look crazy sometimes to people who are on your journey in life with you. Uh, a few, year, few years ago, help me not say their name in the story. A few, a few years ago, this couple, real highfalutin, lot, tons, of, tons of money, they, they got married. And um, really, I only knew them distantly. They didn't. They didn't respect me or want my ministry. They didn't want me to marry them because of who I was. They wanted a young pastor for the pictures. And uh, the wedding planner told me that. So they, they wanted a young pastor. They wanted it to be a cool, hip vibe wedding. And they went all out, spent like almost an ungodly amount of money on the wedding. And um, they were supposed to send me a limo because everybody was going to be picked up in a limo and driven to this place. It was an hour and a half away from San Antonio. So this whole time, the wedding planner's telling me, you know, you're going to be picked up in a limo. I said, I don't want to ride in a limo. I'd like to drive myself. Nope, everybody's got to be picked up in a limo, all this kind of stuff. And they rented me a tux because you had to be in a certain kind of tux for this wedding, for their pictures and all their guests and all this other crazy stuff. I was about to pull my hair out. And let me tell y'all something about this tux. This wasn't no normal tux. This... This, this was like the finest tux. I mean, it was like unbelievably expensive. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't wear a whole lot of tuxes, as I'm sure you can gather. So, so I mean, it was, it was something, you know, putting it on. And so I, I get a call you know, three hours before a wedding, the limo's not going to pick me up. I got to drive there myself. So it's out in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I, I, all day I'd been thinking I wasn't going to have to drive. I get in my car, and when I, when I get close, I run out, I'm about to run out of gas. And so I go into it's this little small town, Armpit, Texas, and... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
and I get out of my car in this thing and go into the country store. And Billy Bob behind the counter sees me walk in in armpit Texas to the country store with a $3,000 rented tux on. And Billy Bob looked at me like I was crazy, and all the townsfolk in the store did too. They looked at me crazy. They rejected me. I could tell they didn't want me in there. But they would have had to understood where I was going to understand why I was dressed the way I was dressed. And the reality is I would rather look strange on the journey than to get to the destination and be unprepared for the environment I'm about to walk into. And some of you need to embrace the pain of other people's opinions while you make the necessary changes to dress up for the environment you are about to step into. It may not make sense to those who are on the journey of life with you, but it's because they're not going where you're going. you got to feel their hate and feel their frustration and go to your destination anyway. God's about to do some new things in your life, and it's about to be amazing. But you have to have the faith to to get ready for it now. Somebody holler, get ready! Said, put on your best garment. Then she says, point number five, go to the threshing floor. Or position yourself at the place of blessing. In other words, this is where we know he's going to be. We've tracked his schedule. Go position yourself at the place where blessing happens. When you're close to your miracle, the enemy will try to keep you from moving into place because blessing and places coincide. Did you hear me? Places are important. Blessing and places go together. And the enemy loves to keep people in preparation mode. Preparation's important. It's a necessary step. But if you don't know when to move on what you've been preparing for, then you just spend your life in prep mode and never launch out and seize the thing you're preparing for. Your future is waiting, so you got to get to the place. Don't allow fear of new environments to keep you out of the place. God has a place for you, and it is your time to step into it. Point number six, do not make yourself known. She tells Ruth, when you get in the room with them, don't draw attention to yourself. Ruth, it wasn't blatant self-promotion that got you here. It was the goodness and the kindness of God. If you didn't get yourself here, don't try to keep yourself here. You don't have to open your own doors. I want to say that again. Somebody needs to hear it. You don't have to open your own doors. You didn't open the doors that got you this far. And the same God that opened doors for you on lower levels is the same God that will open doors for you on higher levels. You don't have to beat down every door. You don't have to beg for nothing. You don't have to be manipulated by people in power to try to get them to have favor on you. If you will refuse to make yourself known and humble yourself, God will raise you up. Don't make yourself known. And then, point number seven, Ruth tells Naomi, he will tell you what to do. In other words, 
when you get to that place where you're going to level up, that's not the place you start talking. Most people don't know what room to keep their mouth shut in. There are some meetings where the best strategy is to keep your mouth shut. To, to speak when our generation doesn't know that saying. To speak when spoken to. And sometimes when, you, when God brings you to a level that you're not really comfortable on, you get anxious and, and you get excited and, and you let that inexperience and that anxiety take over and you think you're going to solve it by opening your mouth. It was God's word that got you here. It's going to take God's word to keep you here. So she says, wait until he tells you what to do. Some of you feel the anxiety of an opportunity passing you by, and you're right on the edge, and you're wanting to do something. Listen to me. Wait. It's a prophetic word. Wait until he tells you what to do. And it's his responsibility to get that word to you, however he wants to do it. But wait until you hear from God. Wait until you feel it in your spirit. Wait until you have a knowing in your peace. Wait until something registers and witnesses with your spirit. And let him tell you what to do. And all Ruth does is follows these simple seven protocols. And in a matter of days, she's sitting by the right hand of the most powerful man in the territory. And eventually, from their union, King David would be born. The writer of the Psalms, the king of Israel. This woman had a king in her and didn't know it. This broken widow following a mother-in-law just to be kind and try to refresh somebody else had a king in her and didn't know it. And why am I preaching you this message? Because you're related to things you don't even know about yet. You're related to a destiny you don't even know about yet. Something powerful is going to come out of your life. Something powerful is going to come out of your marriage. Something powerful is going to come out of your finances. Something powerful is going to come out of your children. Something powerful is going to come out of it. And, and you weren't even dreaming about it. You weren't even thinking about it. You had it nowhere on the radar. You were just following, trying to refresh somebody else. You were just getting up on a lazy Sunday morning and decided to come to church. And all of a sudden, the destiny of God, the purpose of God, the strength of God began to fall on your life. And suddenly, everything turned around inside of destiny, inside of time, inside of planning. And it's simple stuff. Simple steps. Simple things that anybody can do without a real long process. Just a simple few things that you can do that will cause your life to be elevated and promoted. It's the protocols for promotion. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Is there an attitude you need to change? Is there a way of looking and a way of speaking and a way of behaving that you need to allow God to adjust in your life? Is, is your sense of preparation out of whack? Are you saying to yourself, I'll prepare for it when I know it's coming? That's too late. You got to prepare for it now. 
Do you have the patience to wait on the word? Or will you be overwhelmed by anxiety and try to move first? Will you wait for him to tell you what to do? The protocols. Do, do you know how to put on your best garment even when people are laughing at you? Because they don't see the destination yet. Are you willing to look crazy on the journey because you know where you're going to? Protocols of promotion. Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a praise all over the house. I came to tell you you're going somewhere. Now, I don't know who this is hitting. I don't know who this is impacting, but I came to tell you you're going somewhere. God woke me and you up both this morning and designated for us to meet here at this time for you to hear this word. You are going somewhere. What you have been seeing is not all there is to see. The frustration and the difficulty of the cyclical pattern of life is not all that there is. God has more for you. And the enemy would love for you to quit right before you get leveled up. But a leveling up, a promotion, it's coming in your family. It's coming in your finances. It's coming with your children. It's coming in your thought life. It's coming in the things that you see around you. You're coming up. You're coming up. And God will do his part. But you got to make sure you do your part and follow the protocols for promotion. Give God praise and worship all over this house. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Come on, give him praise in the house. We love you, Jesus. Yes, we do. I speak the blessing of elevation over your life in the name of Jesus. I speak the increase of God. The increase of God. Hands high. I speak the increase of God to fall on you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak to your thought life, to your dreams and to your visions. I speak you'll have so much confidence and faith in your God, you'll turn those dreams into plans. I speak the anointing and the strength for preparation. I speak discipline to manage the new level and the things that come along with it. In the name of Jesus, we speak it over your life. We call you blessed. We call you a champion. We call you a winner. We call you an overcomer. In the name of Jesus, I charge you this day to go out into your life and begin climbing the steps, climbing higher, taking more ground, believing that if God be for you, he's more than the world against you. In the name of Jesus Christ, give him one more shout all over the house.
today's offering, I want to challenge you to sow a champion seed. I want to challenge you to sow a champion seed. Challenge you to sow a champion seed. Whatever that is to you. Whatever that is to you. Sowing into your future. Sowing into the next. Whatever you sow, if it's not a sacrifice, it doesn't, if it doesn't move you, it won't move God. Some people, it may be a $40 seed. Others, it may be $400. But I'm, I'm challenging you to sow into your future, into the next. If you believe you've got a next coming, that God's going to open a door for it, I want to challenge you to put a seed toward that next. Wherever you are, whatever you're giving, that's on you. I want you to get a champion seed for your next. And just if you're, if you're writing, just write next on it. If you want to text it, if you want to give it online, do whatever you got to do. But I want to challenge you in our offering today to sow into next. Because I believe this next for you is going to be something eyes haven't seen and ears haven't heard and hasn't even entered your heart what God wants to do for you. Next. Next is coming. Next is coming. Next is coming. Don't give up. Next is coming. Don't give out. Next is coming. Don't give in. Next is coming. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. Get ready for it. Get prepared for it. What you're doing right now, sowing a seed into next, that's part of preparation. That's part of the the being prepared process. Sowing into next. Sow into it. Sow into it. Father, you see all the people that are giving today. I ask that you bless them in their next. I ask that you bless them with open doors and opportunities. I ask that you fling it wide open for them, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, give them your insight, your wisdom, and your voice on how they can move forward into the next thing you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you so much, Christian world. God bless you today. Remember protocols for promotion and take your next in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can come and give if you haven't. Otherwise, you're dismissed.